Verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The first epistle of Peter is written, of course, to believers, as you'll see if you look at the very start of the epistle. Uh, Peter says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and so on. So he's writing to those who are the people of God. We discover that these people had been scattered by persecution. And chapter 1 and the verse 6 tells us that though they greatly rejoiced in salvation, they were in heaviness through what he calls manifold or many different trials and temptations. Uh, They were grieved and they were thrown into sorrow. Now, as Peter comes to the conclusion of his letter to them, he exhorts them to cast all their care upon the Lord, and he tells them why, because he says, he careth for you. Now, that word that Peter wrote wasn't just for believers some 2,000 years ago. It has been of tremendous benefit to multitudes of God's people down through the centuries. What blessings we have drawn from thinking, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, in this text, the first thing we see is this. There is an indication that God's people have many anxieties. That word care carries the idea of being distracted, of feeling anxiety. It comes from a word that means to divide or to disunite. You're cut in two in a sense. And I was thinking about this today. Imagine that uh, you know your loved ones, maybe your son or daughter or your brother or sister, uh, are traveling along a road. You know they're uh, traveling along that road and you know when they're going to be traveling along it. And then news comes to you that there has been a very serious accident on that stretch of road. Your mind will immediately be distracted. What you're doing, you'll not be able to concentrate upon it because all the time you'll be thinking, could it be that it's my son, my daughter that's in that accident? Could it be my brother, my sister? Or it could be my father, my mother? You're thinking about it. You cannot concentrate. And that's the idea, really, behind this word care. It is a distracting worry. And you'll notice the word all. It says, casting all your care upon him. So there's an indication that we have many anxieties, many fears, many worries. And I want us to think just for a moment or two about some of these cares and anxieties. Parents have anxieties about their children. Even when they're grown up, you still have those fears, you still have those worries. You're a Christian parent You care about your sons, your daughters, and when you have grandchildren, you care about them. You want to see them right with God. You want to see them walking with God. Uh, My next brother to me uh, died at the age of 49. He died of cancer. Uh, And one of the great fears my brother Brian had was that perhaps his sons or some of his grandchildren, he didn't have grandchildren by the time he died, but he was afraid lest some of them 
would dishonor the Lord. I can say with gratitude that they're walking with God. Some of the grandchildren are very young, but his sons and their wives are walking with God. And that anxiety he had, it was translated into prayer, to pleading with God for them. So we do have anxieties about our children, about our grandchildren, about brothers and sisters. If you have unsaved parents, you have anxiety about them. You want to see them saved. You want to see them right with God. And then we have fears in other aspects of our lives. We have fears about our health. We have fears about old age. We will have fears about failure. Some people find it difficult when they're under conviction of sin to think about the future. And they say, but if I were to get saved, I could never keep it. I could never hold out. I would be sure to fail. Of course, there's an answer to that, but I'm not going to touch on that at, that, at this moment in time. There's that anxiety about getting out of fellowship with God, about backsliding, about failure as a child of God. And then there's something that is described in one of our hymns. It's it's a beautiful hymn, and and the title on it in your book, it's number 491, just in case you want to look it up afterwards. And the heading on it is, Does Jesus Care? Does Jesus Care? And uh, in the second verse, it speaks about experiencing a nameless fear and dread. And that does sometimes come over us. You can't put your finger on why you're worried, why you're anxious. If someone were to say to you, what are you worried about? You say, I I can't express it to you. I I just have this fear that is gripping my mind and gripping my heart. Maybe it's uh, at a transitional uh, transitional period in your life, maybe moving from being a young person into middle age or moving from middle age into old age. And, And there's something, in a sense, comes over you. It's what the writer there, Frank Schaaf, describes as a nameless fear. You can't put a name to it, but, but it's, it's nagging at you. It's, it's eating away at you, and you're troubled by that fear that, that you cannot identify. Then, of course, there's the fear of bereavement. There is the fear of death. And this morning, we were thinking about the devil and how he is so opposed to us, and how he seeks to destroy us time and time again. He's never content until he has probed us and tested us and seen what we are made of. Are we really saved? Are we really born again? And the devil comes to us. He causes anxiety. We saw how John Bunyan describes it when Christian is in the valley of the shadow of death and he's near what Bunyan calls near the entrance to hell and a demon comes up behind him and whispers horrible blasphemies into his ear and he doesn't know if they're coming from his own heart or if they're coming from an outside source and he's troubled, he's troubled and the devil can confuse us, he can confound us, he can make us think that all is ill And all is wrong and he lies to us. And he does so many things uh, to test us thoroughly. As Christ said to Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Sifting's a painful process. When you're going through it, 
when the devil is tempting you and testing you and seeking by all means to destroy you. And so uh, we have so many anxieties. Uh, There's the world, there's the flesh, uh, there's fear, and even that nameless fear. Now, I know some people despise those who are full of anxieties. And they think, well, you're weak. You're not strong in the faith as I am. It's very easy to feel like that when life is plain sailing, when all is going well. You see, it's easy to be a soldier when there's no battles. It's easy to triumph over the enemy when the enemy is hidden and is out of sight and you do not have to think about him. But when the devil comes and when anxieties come, then it's a very different matter. And those who are so confident, they can be the ones who collapse most in a time of crisis in their own lives. And I'll say this to you as well. The Word of God wouldn't deal with these problems of fear and anxiety if they didn't exist. That's why Peter says to these troubled believers who have many trials, manifold, that is, of all kinds, he says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So I come to a second thought. How are we to cope when such anxieties arise? What are we to do? Well, notice what it says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The word casting, it's the idea of of throwing something upon someone. I I thought about this, and I thought about the coal man. Now, I know the coal man isn't very popular nowadays because of what we're told about global warming. And I'm not going into that area. I'm not taking sides. Uh, And what I'm saying is this. I remember the coal man coming to our house. We had a coal bunker. It held about five bags of coal, 500 weight. I think there's 50 kilos in 100 weight. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And the coal man heaved the bag of coal up onto his shoulder, brought it to the bunker, and he emptied it in. Then he went back, got another bag, and emptied it in. Uh, And some places he went, it was a whole shed. There were 20 bags of coal to be emptied in. And at the end of the day, he must have sat down with relief. I've emptied out all those bags of coal. And now I can relax. Now I can rest. I can have my evening meal. And I can sit with my feet up for a short time after all that physical exertion. He's heaving the coal into the bunker. He's heaving the coal into the shed. There's the idea. Casting all your care upon him. And and when you bring it to the Lord, you must leave it with the Lord. And that that means you spend time praying the problem through, opening up your mind and opening up your heart before the Lord. Because otherwise, you know what you'll do? You'll take it all back. Wouldn't you think it ridiculous if the coal man came And he emptied all those bags. Let's say he fills the shed, 20 bags, what we call a ton of coal emptied out. 
And then an hour or so later, back he came, started to buy gold, uh, the coal once more, and put it back in the lorry. You'd say, that man isn't right in the head. Well, are we right in the head? When we, we go to the Lord and we talk to him about our problems, and then we take them all back again. We don't wait until we've emptied all our problems out before the Lord and we have received a sense of peace, that peace that passes all understanding. And I say this to you, when you have problems, and we've seen with many of them, all your care, you tell it all out to the Lord. You tell him everything. You just talk to him. And you have an invitation. You see, God is able to handle our problems. Uh, If you tell out all your problems uh, to a fellow human being, that may be fine the first time. But you go again a week or two later and you go through the whole statements again and then you come back again a few days or a few weeks later and you tell it all out again. You know what will happen? You'll weary that person until that person is uh, is sick of the sight of you. They do not want to see you. They'll say, oh, I don't want to hear that story again. C.H. Spurgeon tells of a time when many people came to him and to a colleague of his, uh, he was counseling them. Now, Spurgeon wasn't complaining of the people. Uh, He had set that time for people to come and to talk to him and that he could give them pastoral counseling and show pastoral care for them. And after spending hours with people, and he had a vast congregation, remember, coming and telling out their sad tales, Spurgeon said to his colleague, after hearing all these sad tales, I'm beginning to feel my headache and my heartache. And he said, I hope that the next person that comes to me will be cheerful. That's what you want. After many sad tales, with the best will in the world, other people can't handle all our problems. Yes, it can be comforting to go to them a time or two, but they can't handle all our problems. But because God is infinite, because he's almighty, because he has a heart full of love, and because he's everywhere present, he invites us to come to him and to cast all our care upon him. We hand it over to the Lord. We commit it completely to him. uh, And we do it just as we would commit ourselves into the hands of the surgeon. You go into hospital, you're going to have an operation. The anaesthetist comes along uh, and you're not aware of what is happening, but you trust. You trust what is taking place inside that operating theater. I'm in the hands of the anaesthetist. I'm in the hands of the surgeon. Well, what better hands can you be in than in the hands of the Son of God, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And the fact that we are to cast all our anxieties into the Lord's hands indicates that we should always resort to him with our worries and our fears. Remember Philippians 4 and verse 6, it says, be careful for nothing. There's that word again, be careful 
for nothing. And careful means, well, full of care. There's the two parts of the word. Don't be full of care for anything. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Notice that. In everything. One of the things I often fall down on is when I have a whole series of what you might call little problems. And I take the big problems to the Lord and and I open my heart before him and I plead with him and I cry unto him. But the little ones, they seem too small. But what happens with little things is the little things accumulate and they build up. Uh, You think of the ant that's building uh, its great uh, molehill uh, and up and up and up it goes. It's very small at the start. It's only an ant's little section that's put in. Then there's more and then there's more and then there's more. And our problems start off as very little things. They accumulate until there's a vast mountain of fear and anxiety. And perhaps that's what contributes to what the hymn writer says a nameless fear and dread, something that you can't put your finger on. Well, Paul says, be careful, be full of care for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And in Psalm 55, it speaks about casting your burden on the Lord. And in the Greek translation of Psalm 55, the word there about casting your burden upon the Lord is the same word as we have here. Casting all your care upon him. May I say this to you? You will be doing wrong. You'll be doing wrong if you don't bring all your worries and all your fears to the Lord. And that'll that'll harm you. That'll make the situation far worse. Why do I say you'll be doing wrong? Because God says to us, he says, casting all your care upon him. You have to go to the Lord when you have problems. If you don't go to the Lord, you are really insulting him. We we find in the Old Testament, King Asa, in many respects, a godly man. But he did lose out with God by doing wrong. And then when he was old, we are told that in the 39th year of his reign, he became diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet we are told that in his disease, he sought not the Lord or not to the Lord, but to the physicians. Now, it wouldn't have been wrong for him to go to the physicians. But what he did wrong was this. He put all his trust in the physicians and he never looked to God. He never asked God for God's help. He had lost out with God and now we can say he insults God by not asking for his help in a situation. How wrong it was that that man had already offended the Lord by doing wrong and sinning against him that he should compound uh, his failure by failing to seek the Lord 
about his diseased feet. It was part of a pattern that had developed late in his life. You and I do not want that. We don't want a pattern of ignoring the Lord and when we have problems, running here and there, trying to solve them ourselves, trying to get help from other people with our problems. If we behave in the same way when we are worried sick and we treat the Lord as a last resort or as never sought at all when problems arise, do we not? Do we not insult the Lord? And surely that is wrong. And so it brings me to another point. Why God wants us to cast all our care upon him. It's very interesting. We're told, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Well, there's a reason. Why does he say? Because we matter. You and I matter to the Lord. That is the idea. You and I are of concern to the Lord. And that should astonish us. Why should the Lord think of you? Why should the Lord think of me? He is the one who made all things. The the shorter catechism definition of God says, God is a spirit, infinite. That's absolute. We sometimes use the word absolutely. That's absolutely brilliant. We say it's not. Absolute means it has no limit to it. So if you say absolutely brilliant, you're saying there's no limit to its brilliance. But there is. There is a limit to everything that man does. It's never in the absolute degree. Well, God is a spirit infinite. He's absolute. In all his perfections, there's no limit whatsoever to God's greatness. Infinite, eternal. God has always been. God is now. God always will be. And God is unchangeable. He's unchangeable. Isn't it said? Yesterday and today and forever. And we sing it. Yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same. All may change. But Jesus never. Glory to his name. Infinite, eternal, unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. They They trip off your tongue. But if you stopped at every part, you would see God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom, in his power, and so on. And then stop again and think, God the Father is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, and power. God the Son is the same. God the Holy Spirit is the same. He has made this world. He has made all the stars. And it's such a little thing to God that in Genesis chapter 1, we read of God creating the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land, and so on. Uh, The sun to rule the night, the lesser light to rule, the sun to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And then it throws in a little expression as if it were nothing. He made the stars also. An incidental detail. One man way back centuries ago thought he could count all the stars. I think he got about 1,100. And then, of course, the telescope discovered 1,100. That's nothing. 
There's millions, there's billions, there's trillions, there's quadrillions. And if we could see uh, with more powerful telescopes, far, far more, he made the stars. Also. He made the little creatures. He made the great creatures. I don't see how anybody, after a visit to the zoo, could possibly believe in evolution. You look, the, these creatures are so different. Yes, uh, there's a design. And yes, you might see some similarities in design in some of the creatures, but they are so different, they're so diverse, and everything is after its kind. God made them. God knows them all. He sees them all. Even a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without his knowledge. The hairs of our head are all numbered. And what is it all about? It's all about God's interest, his particular interest in every individual that is born into this world. And the psalmist said in Psalm 8, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? So God is interested. God is interested in you. He is interested in me. And God wasn't simply saying, or Christ rather, I should say, the second person of the Godhead. Christ wasn't simply saying when he spoke about uh, the, the sparrow and then he spoke about the hairs of her head. He isn't simply saying that God knows everything about us. He does know everything about us. But he was telling us that God is interested in every little detail about our lives. Think how uh, parents uh, with their first child in particular look at the newborn infant. And they are amazed. They look at the little fingers and the little toes and everything appears to be a miniature. And they are interested in every little detail. They turn out the little fingers and uh, the thumb and turn out the little toes. and uh, It's a source of wonder. A source of wonder to them. And their hearts swell with love for that little child. I remember our daughter telling us that when she had nieces and nephews, what she said was so different when she had her own first child. This was her very own, and her heart, her heart was, was bursting with love because this was her very own child. Well, what would you think? What would you think if a child deeply loved by its father and mother when that child has anxieties and has fears, doesn't confide in his or her parents, but goes to an outsider, goes to someone else and opens up his or her heart to someone else. The parents would feel that they had failed as parents and they would be greatly distressed. Now, can you see what I'm driving at? God wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. It's hurtful, if I may put it this way, it is hurtful to God uh, when we do not go to him when we are anxious or distressed. And going to him would, would have an added bonus, if I may put it so, so mildly. It would have this bonus. It would provide us with an opportunity for fellowship with him and to feel his sympathy 
and his love. It would give us a wonderful opportunity to get to know him better. So, why insult God? He says, you've cares. You've many cares. You've so many fears, so many anxieties, so many worries. And yet he says, you come to me. David says, I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy. For thou hast considered my soul in trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities. If there's ever a time, and I, I know I'm, I'm probably exaggerating it a little bit here, but if there's ever a time when you can be sure that God is interested in you, it's when you have problems. It's when you have anxieties and when you have fears. When I go into a home where there's been bereavement, I will generally read the 46th Psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in, in trouble. He's, he's always near. He's always near. We can't always sense his nearness, but he's always near. But the psalmist says he's very present in trouble. You may run to him. You may open your heart to him. You may tell him all your worries, all your fears. He'll never become weary. It's an opportunity, as I've indicated, for you to get to know him better, to have fellowship with him, to experience his love. Anxieties provide all these opportunities for us. And the hymn writer said, I found a friend. Oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love. And thus he bound me to him. And round my heart still closely twine those ties which naught can sever. For I am his and he is mine forever and forever. I found a friend. Oh, such a friend. So kind and true and tender. So wise, a counselor and guide, so mighty a defender. Yes, the Lord is interested. The Lord cares. When you have problems, he says, come, come, cast all your care upon me because I do care for you. And then there is something else. He is able to help us. Our friends may become weary of us, but God who loves us, God who is interested in us, because he's the almighty, the eternal, the unchangeable, he is able to help us. Think of the three young men in Daniel chapter 3. Um, most people know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's wonderful how their names have been lost. Their original names, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Uh, their names were expressive of God. Hananiah, the Lord is gracious. Azariah, the Lord is a help. Mishael, who is like God. And then Daniel, who was their friend, God is my judge. And all the names were changed to Babylonian names to try to get them to forget God. But they didn't. All the efforts failed. And when those young men were told to bow down before the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had constructed and were threatened with the furnace being heated seven times more than was customary, they said to the king, we're not careful to answer you, O king. 
that we don't have to think about it. We know what we must do before God. And they added these beautiful words. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. So they, they had confidence in God. He's able. He's able to help us. Now, they weren't necessarily saying that they would not be burnt to death. They were willing. They were willing to be burnt to death rather than worship an idol. But they added these words after saying uh, that he was able to do it. They said, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Should we be burnt to death, reduced to ashes, we will be delivered. At the moment we breathe our last in the flame, and it will only take seconds if the Lord doesn't intervene, the moment we breathe our last, we will be delivered. We'll be absent from the body, absent from those ashes, and we will be present with the Lord. I wonder, have there been times in your life when in deep distress you've come before the Lord and uh, you've cried to him, you've cast all your care upon him and you've experienced his peace, a peace beyond all comprehension, beyond all our understanding. I know there's times when I have when I've been at my lowest point and I've pleaded and pleaded with God and many times after going on my knees in distress before the Lord, I've risen with that sense of well-being, that sense of the Lord's love, the sense of the Lord's nearness, the Lord's joy, the Lord's peace. How exhilarating, if I may even use such an expression. Listen to the exhortation. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And implicit in that statement, he careth for you, is the thought, he's able to help you. He's able. And he will help you if you come to him. But what if you're not saved? You're burdened. You're burdened with sin and distress. You're bound for hell. Well, he's able to save. He's able to save. He's interested in his creation. And he he invites you to come to him. He says in John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And then I'll take you, and I'm finished now, to Revelation 22, 17, the very last invitation in the Bible. And it says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let him that heareth say come, let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. How gracious, how gracious is that invitation. Come, it's free, salvation. You come to the Lord, your sins forgiven, peace with God, a home in heaven, eternal joy when you leave this world and then you enter into glory, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that thou wilt impress thy truth on all our hearts. Thank you for such a gracious 
almighty Savior. May we see how much he loves us. May we think of Calvary and the work of the shedding of his blood to save sinners. And may we come to one who is tender-hearted, one who is loving and forgiving. May we give ourselves to thee and for thy people who have worries and fears. May they cast all those cares upon thee and remember how much thou dost care for them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We have another hymn, and it's a hymn number 72. We'll just sing one verse of it. That's all I ever manage uh, after preaching. Uh, uh, hymn number 72, and we're going to stand again as we sing. Uh, let me just find the hymn, and then... Glory be to God the Father. Actually, you were singing this, I think, earlier. I heard it. Uh, so uh, we'll sing uh, the first and the last verses. So we'll sing two verses of the hymn. Hymn number 72.